0: And we saw something shiny, so we all ran down over there. And it was in the early morning? It was at break time. Yeah. And then we saw something shiny. And we saw two, two people, they were in black, tight black suit, and they had big eyes.
1: Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to Cryptique. I'm joined as always by everyone's favorite fetish burglar, Ryan, what's up? Fetish burglar? Yeah. You ever heard of that? All right. No. All right. So
2: I is that I what this... I am. Am I... <laughs>
1: No, I, I heard this on a, a show last night. They were, you know, talking about a particular suspect and they're like, well, he's clearly a fetish burglar. And I'm like, did they say fetish burglar? What, what the hell is a fetish burglar? And apparently a fetish burglar is somebody who like steals underwear. Or oh. you know, like high heels from women and stuff like okay. that. So Yeah, but you I really like don't do
2: that. I, I just like pronounce the names I love that name. That's so good. I good think that might be my bacon. Yeah, it'd be a good band name. Uh Call of Duty No, not Call of Duty, what the fuck is it? Counter Strike Two just came out. Mm-hmm. I might have a new username for Counter Strike. I haven't played Counter Strike in a long time. <laughs> that would be a Federsburg. it would be a great username. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff.
1: All right. Well, you want to tell them what they need to know?
2: Yeah, you guys know what we're gonna say if you want to support the show, probably the easiest way to do it is going to be to subscribe or rate or comment on your podcast platform because it helps us with the algorithms. But the best and most organic way for us to grow is for the show to be shared with other like-minded people who are into the kind of crazy stuff that we're into. Crazy fun, possibly true, all those things. I don't want to dismiss any of it. Some of it, though, clearly is just too fun to not talk about, right? There are certain topics where it's like, it's almost too bizarre, but man, some of them are so fun. (laughs) True. But, yeah, spreading like that is... The most effective in the way that we appreciate the most. And if you want to get in touch with us and let us know what you think about the show or what you want to hear next or anything else. I always think of questions. We should get a P.O. box. You
1: should. So
3: get people on can there. send
2: us weird stuff. There <laughs> I bet I bet we would start getting letters like typewriter written letters. Oh yeah. Like this is what you need to do. They come like no return address and stuff like that. That could be cool. Oh, yeah. But for right now you can Send us whatever it is you want to say at crypticpodcast.gmail.com and you can find out what we're selling and what Jay's designing over at crypticpodcaststore.com.
1: And don't forget, you can buy us a coffee. That would be a really nice Christmas present or my birthday's coming up. So, yeah, buy us a coffee. It's in the the, show notes.
2: Help pay the server bills. (laughs) Keep the servers on. (laughs)
1: We do have uh, some emails, just a a couple quickies here. So Eric in Stockholm asked if there's anyone today that could be Count St. Germain. Now we talked possibly like Keanu Reeves, you you know, kind of half jokingly, uh, but I I can't really think of anyone who could be Count St. Germain today. Uh, there are some people that pique my interest a bit, like uh, and, and I know Saint Germain wasn't, you know, like found guilty of anything. But the the last one that we had was Jacques Saint Germain in New Orleans. I thought, what about Jeffrey
2: Epstein? Is yeah. that crazy? I I mean, it'd be a big departure from his previous behavior if that was him. I think St. Germain was not, like, a bad guy or anything. Although, honestly, with the way this stuff works out, I mean, it seems entirely possible that maybe Epstein didn't do anything. He was framed. Could have been the scapegoat, and that's why they killed him. He could have actually been the one behind all this stuff, and that's why they killed him. Yeah. But you never really know for sure. I don't know. I feel like if... uh... Steve Harvey? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes, your man, Steve Harvey, I think could be Count St. Germain. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, did you ever see the show Person of Interest? Yes. Yeah, that uh, a big part of the premise of that show is, yeah, the guy who's kind of running things behind the scenes with this little hero group, mm-hmm. he wants to be completely anonymous. Mm-hmm. He's super influential. He's done a lot of important things. And then he sort of erased himself from the collective system.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I think that is what a real count Saint Germain would do today. They would be like the Emperor Palpatine or the Finch. They would be behind the scenes, mm-hmm. you know, maybe influencing things, but they're not. They're not on X posting yeah. about what they're doing. They're not. They're not making. Videos or showing pictures of it, of his girlfriend's ass on Instagram. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's behind the scenes somewhere where we're not going to catch on to him. Makes That'd sense. Be my assumption.
1: Yeah. All right. Next one, uh, Johan in the Faroe Islands wants us to do an episode of UFOs flying into and out of volcanoes. So I didn't know much about the Faroe Islands, but they're they're apparently volcanic islands that are um, I guess off the shore of the Netherlands so yeah so Johan has volcanoes where he's at so I guess he's wanting to he didn't mention anything about him seeing anything but uh, you know we do have some uh, stories about this happening like in Mexico and stuff and we're doing a UFO story today but uh, that's something we we can definitely look into we want to cover a lot of You know, abduction and UFO cases So we'll get to it eventually And then We
2: talked about ultra-terrestrials Or stuff like that But not necessarily volcano ones
1: And then Jesus wants more episodes On political stuff like Vaccines and dictators And loved the General Butt Naked episode And he says General Butt Naked should be hanged and if you haven't heard that episode, go back and listen. It's from a couple months ago. It's a pretty crazy episode, and, and I'm with Jesus on this one. You know, I had to say Jesus because I don't think Jesus would necessarily recommend hanging for, for someone, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I think we can both agree that he's guilty of horrific war crimes and, and should be hanged, so. Oh. All right, so what are we getting into tonight?
2: We are talking about the Aerial School UFO incident, which when you mentioned it to me as a potential topic, I actually forgot about it. Mm-hmm. But it's a it's an interesting story. So, I guess we'll just get into it rather than me try to talk about how pleased I was once I realized what this was because <laughs> I've seen documentaries and stuff on it in the past, but let's do it. Yeah, let's start. So, on a seemingly ordinary day, September 16th of 1994, an extraordinary event unfolded in the small town of Rua, Zimbabwe, which captured the world's attention and remains a topic of fascination in UFO studies. At Ariel School, a private religious school, I think Catholic is what they are, a group of 62 students, aged between 6 and 12, reported witnessing a perplexing and unprecedented event, the appearance of a UFO and its extraterrestrial occupants as the children played outside during a morning break with their teachers occupied in a staff meeting they observed a silver disc shaped object descending and landing in a nearby field what followed was even more astonishing and i have to i went to a catholic school as a kid Mm -hmm. you cannot leave kids alone at all even at a little catholic school They will start forming their own system of government. I remember one time we got (laughs) caught trying to flip one of the teachers' cars during recess because they didn't have anybody out there watching us. Wow. Like we were eight, maybe, and we were like, there's like 30 of us. I bet we could do this. (laughs) Anyway, according to the kids' accounts, entities described as bizarre and otherworldly emerge from the craft. These beings, reported as having human like but distinctly inhuman features, such as waxy skin and large penetrating eyes, interacted with the children. Most notably, the children described a form of non verbal communication, indicating that these beings communicated telepathically, conveying messages of environmental concern and caution about the future of Earth, which is a common thing that we've seen in UFO reports. The aliens will Mm -hmm. communicate with you the entities will communicate with you but their mouths don't seem to move they have these little gashes for mouths but they don't really seem to use them you hear a voice but nothing's really physically happening
1: or they're awesome ventriloquists
2: or they're yeah (laughs) the children's vivid and consistent accounts along with their drawings depicting the event sparked both immediate interest and skepticism The event was investigated by several individuals, including local UFO researcher Cynthia Hind and Harvard psychiatrist Dr. John Mack, whose interest in psychology of UFO sightings was well known. The story gained international attention, with media outlets and UFO enthusiasts delving into the details and implications of this unusual sighting.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the significance in ufology. The aerial School incident stands as one of the most significant and debated cases in the study of ufos its importance stems from key factors that differentiate it from other ufo sightings firstly the number of witnesses over 60 children and the consistency in their accounts despite their young ages lend a unique credibility to the case Children, often perceived as honest and less influenced by cultural UFO narratives, provided detailed descriptions that aligned closely with one another, presenting a compelling narrative that has challenged skeptics and believers alike. The aerial School sighting occurred in a cultural and geographical context that arguably minimizes the likelihood of mass media influences on the children's perception of UFOs and ET life. This aspect of the case has been a focal point in arguments supporting the authenticity of the children's accounts, suggesting that their descriptions were not derived from popular media or preconceived notions of alien appearances and behaviors. The incident has also been significant in its contribution to the ongoing debate about the nature of UFO sightings and their potential implications. It's raised questions about the psychological, social, and even potential extraterrestrial dimensions of such encounters. The fact that many of the witnesses, years later as adults, have maintained their accounts adds an intriguing layer to the narrative, challenging the notion of the sighting as a transient childhood fantasy or a simple misinterpretation of mundane phenomena. The involvement of professionals like Cynthia Hind and John E. Mack, who approached the incident with a mix of open-mindedness and scientific scrutiny, is prompted discussions about the methodologies used in investigating UFO sightings and the interpretation of of witness testimony. Their work has highlighted the complexities of discerning truth in situations where extraordinary claims are made, particularly by children. And there are some variations in this, but we also have to talk about trauma this is a traumatic experience. Is that something we'll get into or?
2: Uh, Not trauma specifically, but we do get into some of the variations. Yeah.
1: Okay. So yeah, these are 60 kids. If you can Mm. get three kids to tell the same story, you're doing great, right?
2: Yeah, that's that's a good point. And it's something we'll get into later. But But I watched, and I told you I was going to watch it, there's a new series called uh, Encounters on Netflix. Mm -hmm. There are four episodes so far, and each episode is a different encounter. And I think it's episode... Well, it doesn't even matter. One of the episodes is about this. Uh And I watched it, and a lot of it focuses on Dr. Mac. Uh And one of the people that they interview because he passed away, you know, quite a while back, he... One of the people that they interview is a lawyer that helped represent him when Harvard was trying to remove his tenure and basically kick him out for entertaining this idea. Mm-hmm. And his position was that he should listen to them. Crazy idea for a psychiatrist. Right. To listen to your patients instead of immediately trying to drug them, which is what Harvard and the other psychologists or psychiatrists wanted him to do. Wow. But, uh... It, the lawyer made an interesting comment. This lawyer was apparently the, f- I think, the first to successfully go after a priest. Mm-hmm. Back when that pedophilia stuff was coming up, mm-hmm. and he was saying, "We have over sixty kids saying the same thing." He said, "In one of these cases against the church, if I have five kids that say the same thing, I'm probably going to win the case." Mm-hmm. He's like, "There, you know, what? What? Regardless of what you believe." It's very compelling to have them all basically saying the same thing. But should we get into the incident itself? Uh, We'll talk about the incident after a quick break.
0: And a small, we didn't actually see their nose. It was quite small. And their mouth was quite small as well. One of them was running in slow motion up across the ship. And the other one was standing beside the ship. I couldn't see the eyes or the nose or the mouth. It was just blank, like a piece of paper.
1: Mm -hmm. Welcome back, Trip Keepers. Ryan, tell us about the incident.
2: All right. So first, we'll talk about the date and location. So again, this was on the morning of September 16th, 1994, in the tranquil rural setting of Rua, Zimbabwe, which became the backdrop for an extraordinary event the aerial school like we said before a private institution nestled in this small farming community and it really it looks like it's i think it's near a game preserve yeah i think you're right from what i've seen it's it's there's a lot of nature around and the students that i saw interviews with talked about how much they appreciate it now that they got to go there saying like oh i completely understand why my parents wanted me to go here so badly like this is incredible." Uh, But this school found itself at the center of an unprecedented UFO sighting. This location, approximately 22 kilometers from the capital, Harare, is significant for its relative isolation and the limited exposure of its residents to popular media representations of UFOs and extraterrestrial life. Because again, 1994, rural Zimbabwe. You don't have, like, a T1 connection out there. <laughs> you don't have your normal Spectrum or Comcast cable connection.
1: Yeah, the they're incident probably occurred... not getting X-Files every night.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're probably getting the antenna TV, maybe some kind of satellite, but they, they don't have the exposure to... There's not a blockbuster down the road where they can go watch alien movies or sci-fi stuff. For sure. Although maybe there was, who knows. But they wouldn't have had the exposure that we have now, for yeah. sure. The incident occurred during a morning break around 10.15 a.m. The teachers were occupied in a staff meeting, leaving the school children to their leisure in the playground. Again, dangerous. They will revolt. <laughs> this detail is crucial as it meant there were no adult witnesses to the event, a factor that later played a significant role in the analysis and interpretation of the children's accounts. What about their description?
1: The children that uh were interviewed around 62 so it could be 61 and a half it could be 62 and a half but most likely 62 i i love it and <laughs> they give uh, like my dad isn't ex-police right so like he'll be like um it happened somewhere around twelve seventeen and 28 seconds after lunch you know like yeah. it's it's Alright. So the number the children, numbering around 62, described witnessing a silver, disc-shaped object descending and landing or hovering near a field adjacent to the schoolyard. The craft, as detailed by the children, was unlike any conventional aircraft, contributing to the immediate intrigue and concern among the witnesses. What followed is even more startling. And I think it's also important that as far as we know, you know, if you saw this around Scott air force base, you might be like, Hmm, maybe they're working on something. Maybe this is, uh, you know, an aircraft that they're testing or, or something like that. Even you wouldn't think that they'd just go and land it next to a school and be like, yeah, when I, (laughs) (laughs) yeah,
2: when I saw those, that formation in the sky that I sent you the video of, Mm mm-hmm, And there have been comments on it since then, like, what was going on that night? I saw that, too. Mm
3: -hmm. My
2: first thought was not uh, Constellation satellites. Yeah. My thought was this definitely looks like it's in some kind of low orbit because of the speed it's moving at, and I've seen stuff like that before. Mm -hmm. But my first thought was this is either here from Scott Air Force Base or because of Scott Air Force Base. Right. (laughs) Like, I mean, we... My old job... Working for a military contractor, I think I probably said this before on the show. I know I've at least said it to you. Mm-hmm. We had a meeting one time when things were starting to get when things first started getting heated in Russia, mm-hmm. when they're like, "Hey, there's like hundred and eighty thousand troops all of a sudden on Ukraine's border. Maybe we should be concerned about this." Mm-hmm. A bunch of us that were on the military side got pulled into this conference and they told us like yeah st louis is for sure a target if there's something that is going to happen because we make there's a lot of military stuff based here there's scott air force base here they said but they are targeting us because we make the stuff which means we have the stuff right so don't worry too much we can take Mm -hmm. care of ourselves (laughs) but it's like there's always very much uh uh the idea of we can't, nobody within the company can know what everybody's working on. And then that excludes what all the other places in the area are working on. Like there's, there's crazy stuff that's being worked on here.
1: But it's not probably stuff where you're like, we're just going to fly this over to uh, rural Zimbabwe and uh, do some water Buffalo mutilation.
3: Right. Right. <laughs>
2: that's, that's the point. It's like, there's not a, uh, what would you call it? There's not like a, a grouping or a community of, military contractors on that game reserve <laughs> right <laughs> that would exactly. explain it you know it's not i mean i remember hearing stories you know the harrier that's the jet that can just sort street, of hover yeah, yeah it can just like hover there mm-hmm. i remember hearing stories of people who would just be driving down mcdonald douglas like the street when the mm-hmm. company was when it was not Boeing yet and yeah. seeing those things like hovering over the parking lots and being like what in the world is that yeah they're pretty amazing yeah because they were developing that stuff and it's like yeah you're gonna you're gonna get a glimpse of stuff like that every once in a while if you're around it enough but yeah not not in Zimbabwe (laughs) right (laughs) or not in that part of Zimbabwe anyway what followed was even more startling several
1: children reported seeing beings emerge from the craft these beings were described as humanoid with distinct features, large oval-shaped black eyes, a slender build, and in some cases long black hair. Their skin was described as dark and shiny, almost waxy in appearance. The children's accounts were remarkably consistent, particularly in their descriptions of the beans and their craft. They spoke of the beans moving around the field and the craft, with some children reporting what they perceived as telepathic communication. From these entities. The messages conveyed were of an environmental nature, with warnings about the harm humanity was inflicting on the planet and a call for a more conscientious relationship with Earth. You want to tell us about the initial reactions of the adults in the area?
2: Yeah. And as far as the long black hair, one of the interviews, um, one of the original interviews, one of the kids says on camera, that the hair almost looked like Michael Jackson's. Well, that's something. So it's a it's an oddly specific reference, but it helps you kind of get a sense of it. I almost wonder if it's a wig, like or Roger else, yeah. from American Dad or something. Like, yeah, <laughs> did it wear a wig to try to blend in?
1: Like <laughs> <Right. Watch laughs> this, they'll never know it's me.
2: <laughs> yeah, Oh, I saw this on uh, MTV, and then yeah. they start. Starts like trying to moonwalk. Yeah, well, I mean, it could be. It could be like, hey, <laughs>
1: this this is like their king of entertainment right now. Maybe yeah. if you know, maybe they this call would help him me the late.
2: Yeah, I mean, he, we did call him the king of pop. They couldn't find where pop was, so they just landed somewhere, and they're like, "All right, we'll look like their king." <laughs>
1: yeah, well, it, it you know, I had, I hadn't heard the Michael Jackson description, but it, you know, I thought that it could have perhaps been a. Uh, hood, like on what they were wearing, that maybe just looked like hair. Maybe that person was the leader. Maybe that person, sure. you know, was using some kind of technology that would have been in this hood or or whatnot. So,
2: yeah, that makes sense. Possibility. All right. So the initial reaction from the teachers and parents to the children's accounts was one of skepticism. And you can find video if you look for it of these people talking to the the staff of the school and them saying, "No, I don't think they really saw anything." it's It's not a big deal, it's just kids being kids, that kind of thing. And then some of the kids as adults, their interviews where they they're saying that they're being told you did not see that. you did not see that. They're being told what they saw, what they didn't see, or your experience doesn't really matter, all that sort of thing, which has caused a lot of uh psychological issues it would seem with them, but I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Given the extraordinary nature of the claims, and the absence of adult witnesses, the adults were inclined to dismiss the incident as a product of overactive childhood imaginations. However, the seriousness and consistency of the children's stories prompted a more thorough consideration. Parents, upon hearing their children's detailed and earnest accounts, began to question the possibility of the event's reality. The children's apparent distress and unwavering insistence on what they had seen and experienced became a cause for concern and curiosity. This led to the involvement of several UFO researchers and notable psychologists who would later conduct interviews and investigations into the incident, transforming the aerial school sighting into a globally recognized and debated UFO encounter. The reactions of the teachers and parents set the stage for a more in-depth investigation into the incident, with various professionals approaching the case from different angles, each seeking to understand and interpret the children's extraordinary claims.
1: All right. You want to get into the accounts?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I don't think I have too much more to add to that. I feel like I do, but it's like, man, I know I know, we're going to get into it later. So I'm trying, okay. to, trying to hold back.
1: You're <laughs> champing at the bit. Uh-huh. All right. So we'll talk about some of the detailed descriptions of the UFO and the beans that uh, came along with it. The children's detailed descriptions form the core of the aerial school incident. They describe the UFO as a silver disc-shaped object, often referred to in their accounts as a craft or spaceship. This object was reported to have landed or hovered near the school, with some children mentioning that it vanished and reappeared at another spot. The descriptions emphasized its unconventional shape, metallic sheen, and apparent ability to move in ways unlike any known aircraft. Equally fascinating were the descriptions of the beings. The children consistently described them as humanoid in appearance, but with distinct non-human features. And basically, I think what we're getting at is if this happened and these people are being described accurately, and, and I say people because, you know, they're humanoids, um, they're, it's not something where they would have, uh, you know, hired five or six little people to dress <laughs> up. And I'm not trying to be funny, I'm trying to say, like, this is not something that. You know, we see in any other case where there's like, oh yeah, we just sent the five little people that were in the air force at the time on this ship to mess with people. They're they're being described as as human, but they're definitely not, I guess, typical human beings. If it's not something where you can be like, oh, they probably made a mistake. They were actually six foot tall white pilots dressed in air force uniforms. It's it's not even close. So
2: yeah, there was uh, again from this newer documentary. There was one of the teachers trying to tell the kids that they what probably what they saw was one of the gardeners. <laughs> Maybe they were carrying like a piece of tin or something to make a barrier, mm. and that that's probably what they saw. And the kids were like, no.
3: No, yeah, I've seen a
2: gardener before. I know what a man looks like. Right. White, black, whatever. It's a dude. Like this was not just a dude carrying gardening supplies. Exactly. They
1: were reported to be about 1 meter tall, clad in tight, shiny black attire that some children likened to a suit. The most striking features described were their large oval black eyes, and they described them as being penetrating or mesmerizing. And that's something that we see consistently in, you know, UFO abductions and and witnesses where they're like these beings kind of had a hold over us. You know, they made eye contact and it was like they were looking into my soul
2: again from the this documentary, because it's the most fresh thing in my mind. Mm -hmm. I've read a ton about this, but the documentary had a lot of interviews with these kids as adults Mm -hmm. and a lot of footage of them as children. But there were two kids as adults now who, um, there's a a little bit of a scene, it's a a little bit artistically shot, Mm -hmm. but it's these two women standing out on the playground holding hands and they're talking about that when they were kids, that's what they did. Like They were friends, they were standing out there, and they were just holding hands looking at this thing. They describe that the craft came down and almost immediately, in the blink of an eye, there was this being standing in front of them. With these eyes looking at them and they said they were kind of just caught in it yeah and by the time they were able to move and like let go of each other and kind of look around that the playground was in chaos and kids were running everywhere and it almost like the oz effect they said it seemed like almost everything stopped one of the kids described there being sort of a, a whistling sound like somebody was blowing a note on a flute or a recorder or something hmm but that's interesting it, Yeah, it does seem like there's some sort of hold that these creatures have on you when they look in your eyes.
1: And I think we'll get into, eventually, that some of the kids reported that they didn't see anything. And that is... Go ahead.
2: Well, there's one that I was able to find who specifically said that uh, he made it up.
1: Probably to you know, be in line with the other kids, but
2: Well, no, he he's actually claiming that the whole incident was him. Mm. That he was trying to get out of class and there was like a rock. He says there's a video of him in this documentary saying there's a rock over that way, or there was a rock over that way that was shiny. And it was reflecting the sun. And he's like, I didn't want to go to this one class. Mm. So I was like, look at that. What is that? you know, that, that looks like a UFO or something over there. And other kids started talking about it and it started to spread as a rumor. He's like, I never meant for it to get out of control like this, but they're just lying to themselves that they're saying that this is true.
1: Sounds like he got turned.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I watched it with Kim and she, she was like, pause this. And I paused and she goes, somebody got to this guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, cause everybody else is like, no, I didn't see a rock. Yeah. I saw a craft come down, land, and then a creature come out. Like, yeah. you can't mistake a rock for that. But, yeah, we can get into that later.
1: Uh, yeah, the point I was trying to make is uh, when we had Barbara DeLong on, who had a UFO experience, she said that, you know, there were people standing right next to her that saw absolutely nothing. And it could yeah. have been that their memory was wiped and hers didn't get wiped or or whatever. But there are a lot of incidents where some people see absolutely nothing like this person that was, you know, with her did not see this craft, didn't understand what all the fuss was about with, you know, police being called onto their campus and stuff like that. And they're like, there, nothing happened. What's what's going on? So. That is a, a yeah. possibility, too. But
2: I uh, but I think that's a fairly common thing mm. where you are experiencing something and other people aren't. Or you're, you know, me and you are driving along in your truck.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And you're like, oh, my God, do you see this thing that's landed in the road in front of us? And I'm unresponsive. Yeah. Like, I'm not answering what I like. Things like that happen a lot. So I think that the phenomena shows itself to who it wants to see it sometimes yeah couldn't
1: couldn't agree more all
2: right so next we'll talk a little bit about the telepathic communication Mm -hmm. a central and intriguing aspect possibly even enigmatic of the children's accounts was the concept of telepathic communication many of the children reported receiving messages from these beings not through spoken words but directly into their minds This form of communication was one of the most bewildering aspects of their accounts and has been a focal point in discussions about the incident. The messages reportedly conveyed by the beings were primarily environmental in nature. The children spoke of receiving warnings about the harm humanity was causing to the planet and the urgent need for change. There are also other accounts talking about uh, a need to slow our technological progress. And then if technology continues to build at the pace it has been, it's going to cause more harm than good for humanity, which is probably true. Mm -hmm. And some of these kids were saying, like, I don't I don't exactly understand what this means. Yeah. You know, we we need to be less technologic or technologized. like, I don't really understand what that's supposed to be. But these are like the words that popped into my mind.
1: That's really. They're even saying
2: that they don't totally understand what they're saying, but like, this is the message I was given.
1: Well, and I think that, you know, we can agree that technology can probably advance too fast. You wouldn't teach a 16 year old kid how to drive on a Lamborghini. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So this message was consistent across many of the children's accounts, with some describing it as a profound realization or awakening to the importance of environmental stewardship. Some of them also found it meaningful in a spiritual way. Some of them found it terrifying and they still have trouble with just coping with it. I bet. Um, But yeah, there's, there's a lot to this, but they all seem to have received kind of similar messages, which I think adds to the strangeness of it. You would Mm. expect them to land in front of the UN. Right. And be like you need to slow down on the technology you need to worry about the environment a little bit more not land at some rural school unless somebody at that school because these guys are like 35 now
3: mm-hmm.
2: i mean they still have the majority of their lives ahead of them mm-hmm. it could be that some of the people there somehow these aliens knew somebody there was going to go on to do something really important yeah. and they needed to see this knowledge there but i think that's to me, one of the things that sticks out a lot and might have been one of the things that stuck out to other people when this became so popular yeah. is that it's just a really unusual place to go. Like they landed and they landed at this school in a rural part of Africa and told a bunch of children.
1: Yeah, well, the kids are like, dude, we're on a game reserve. We're, we're mm-hmm. What are you talking about? We're doing what we can do. You, you wouldn't go to, uh, you know, an organic farmer and be like, hey the way that people are preparing food is killing you guys, you'd go to, you know, Monsanto or something. You know what I mean?
2: Although, yeah, maybe we're giving the aliens too much credit, though. Hmm. Maybe they're just, you know, wage employees. Yeah. And they're just, okay, we're supposed to spread this word. Let's cruise around. Oh, look at this. Look at the way they built this in the middle of nature. That's awesome. Like, let's go down there. These guys know what's good. (laughs) And they just... They're like, this seems like a nice place to land. We just got to get the message out. (laughs) True.
1: All right. So they made drawings and sketches and everything. So Mm -hmm. in the aftermath of the sighting, the children were asked to draw what they'd seen. These drawings are significant as they provide a visual representation of their experiences unfiltered by adult interpretations. And... We see this with therapists. They, the first thing they want to look at is the drawings, the artwork that the children have done. So mm-hmm. these drawings were remarkably similar across the group, despite the children working separately. They depicted round disc-like objects, often with legs or stands, and beings with large heads and prominent eyes the consistency in these drawings especially considering the different ages and artistic abilities of the children added a layer of credibility to their accounts and we should say that these are children of different races ethnicities economic backgrounds and a, a large cross section it's not strictly white kid rich white kids at a catholic school you know there's there's a lot of different uh, perspectives here.
2: Yeah. And it looks honestly very um, equal. Mm -hmm. There, there are a lot of photos and videos of this school. And if you look a lot of the people involved are white and a lot of the people involved are black, it's almost half and half from what I can tell.
3: Yeah.
2: It looks like, I mean, same with the students and the staff. I think more of the students were black than white, but in the staff, it's again, it's not like it's, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but it's not like it's just a, a purely cultural thing, like, oh, it's all white kids, so they're gonna you know, they have this European or Western sort of history and this baggage that makes them think about UFOs and crazy stuff like this, where you know, the the native kids would have thought about something else from their own culture Right. It's It's similar across your whole background I mean, yeah. they don't even all speak they all speak English and they all speak I can't think of what it is, but the nat- that like the the native language of that area mm-hmm. to different degrees, but yeah, I mean they don't even have like a common language that is perfectly spoken and understood by everybody, but they still have the same experience, and that's super important,
1: yeah, the drawing showed a remarkable alignment in how the children perceived and recalled the craft and the beans, reinforcing the idea that they'd experienced a shared extraordinary event. The children's descriptions, the notion of telepathic communication, and their drawings collectively form a compelling narrative. These elements have been critical in the ongoing analysis and debate over what occurred at the Ariel School in 1994. Their accounts continue to be a subject of fascination and study, providing a rare and thought-provoking glimpse into a possible encounter with the unknown and we'll talk about investigations and key figures after a quick break.
0: It was sort of like, sort of like a round shape, sort of like a plate, sort of like two plates that were sort of like on top of each other. Then there was sort of like the um, hole, the hatch for it, and there was sort of like in between two trees. But you couldn't see that clearly, and it was just silver all over. One big ship and then small ones surrounding it with, um, with, there were lights. Yeah. Surrounding the
2: ship. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Tell us about Cynthia Hind. Alright, Cynthia Hind, a well-respected UFO researcher in Africa and fairly local to the area from my understanding, was quick to respond to the aerial school incident. Her investigation began just a day after the children reported their sighting. Hind's approach was methodical and hands-on she interviewed the children in groups ranging from two to six. During these interviews, the children gave detailed descriptions of the beings and the UFO. One student, as quoted by the male and Guardian, described the figure as being about a meter tall, dressed in a shiny black suit, with eyes lower on the face, and large and elongated in shape.
1: Now, before we go on, when we're talking about children in groups from two to six we're talking about the number of children in these groups not
2: yeah not ages right okay yeah good good thing to point out the children's drawings which Hine collected depicted similar scenes reinforcing the uniformity of their experiences Hine believed the rural setting of the school played a role in the authenticity of the children's testimonies as they were less likely to be influenced by popular media portrayals of aliens All right, you want to talk about Dr. Mack? Dr.
1: John E. Mack, a Harvard psychiatrist, brought a different perspective to the investigation. He arrived at the school weeks after the incident, and his approach was to conduct individual interviews with the children. Mack focused on the psychological and emotional aspects of the children's experiences, particularly exploring the concept of telepathic communication that the children reported he found that the children described receiving messages about the importance of caring for the environment. One girl, for instance, mentioned the intensity of the alien's gaze, and another student, Francis, spoke of the warning that, quote, pollution mustn't be. I don't know if, I guess mustn't is a word, but it's just not very used. But
2: Yeah, I saw that that quote in one of the interviews it's a strange way to put it but some of the kids in the videos of them and if you google these or look at look for them on youtube you'll probably find them they seem like nervous they seem like they're trying to remember exactly what they were told they're trying like they really look like they're trying to remember something and this is something that kim pointed out too she was watching the guy i can't think of his name the one who said that he made the whole thing up like there mm-hmm. was no alien, there was no nothing, it was all a story he made up to try to get out of class. Mm-hmm. He's looking straight at the interviewer the whole time. And just very relaxed, like lighting a cigarette, telling him, Oh yeah, I did this, I did that, I, you know, I didn't want to go to this language class. Mm-hmm. So I just made up this story. Where the other kids are emotional. They're thinking yeah. about it and they're scared and they're looking around. I mean, people when they're trying to remember something tend to look away from the camera or the interviewer as
0: Mm -hmm. they're trying
2: to just search their memories and whatever, but that's, it seems very natural and it seems very real. And it's something that, that Mac brings up in some of his subsequent interviews with Oprah and all these other talk shows that these children seem to be having a genuine emotional reaction. Right. When they're, when they're talking about this stuff, they're, they're scared or they're mm. sad or they're excited or they're confused. Yeah. And they're all recounting pretty much the same thing. And he's saying a bunch of kids, it's real hard to get a bunch of kids to say the same thing, to tell the yeah. same story. I mean, we all know the telephone game. Mm-hmm. It is so hard to keep a story the same across all students. And somehow it's happened and it's stayed that way for like almost 30 years at yeah. this point and uh it's he he was saying you can't just drug kids and say you're psychotic we need to put you on this medicine when there are 60 of you saying exactly the same thing and having the same emotional reaction because that's indicative of a real experience
1: well and this gives you kind of a window into What's going on with the field of psychiatry and big pharma, even in 1994, that they're like, oh, 60 kids witness something we don't believe in. Let's just put them all on psych meds. And that's crazy. Uh It's crazy to me that they're just like, yeah, just dope them up, man.
2: It's ridiculous. Just put them on antipsychotics. I mean, you can have... um... Oh, what is it? Carbon monoxide poisoning causes Mm -hmm. a lot of experiences, but they're outside in a nature reserve.
1: (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Mac's interviews reinforced the idea of a shared, consistent experience among the children. His background in studying the psychological aspects of alleged alien abductees provided a unique angle to the investigation, but his methods and conclusions were later subject to scrutiny and debate. What about other yeah. notable investigators?
2: So, the aerial School incident attracted the attention of various other investigators and researchers. I don't think we'll name any in particular. But...
1: No Zach Bagans on this one?
2: No, no. I mean, I'm sure he's got something to say about it, but <laughs> that meme you sent me was so good.
1: <laughs> yeah, he he owns that rock <laughs> that that kid claimed was the... Yeah, it's the in UFO. his museum.
2: He paid like $300,000 for it, probably. <laughs> God. Uh, Some focused on the possibility of mass hysteria or a collective delusion as an explanation. So I've read a a bunch of articles about this, which is why I'm not really attributing it to anybody in particular. Sure. But the lack of physical evidence led others to propose more conventional explanations. And we're saying lack of physical evidence for the encounter. Uh, So... Proposing more conventional explanations such as misinterpretation of a natural phenomena or reflection of local cultural beliefs. The children's limited exposure to global UFO narratives was contrasted against the backdrop of a heightened UFO interest in Zimbabwe around that time, including the re-entry of the Zenit 2 rocket which had caused a stir in the local media, because it was apparently very visible as a fireball in the sky. Sure. Sure. This broader context provided a backdrop for interpreting the children's accounts, with some researchers suggesting that the excitement and confusion generated by these events could have influenced the children's perceptions. And some of the kids do talk today about looking towards their own history and their own culture. Um, this is the native Zimbabwean kids, mm-hmm. where they're saying you know, there, there are terms for describing these kind of events in their language and maybe some of the spiritual things in their past really could be attributed to whatever these creatures were and we're seeing them through kind of a more globalized western lens as opposed to a more maybe folkloric traditional belief system in the past
1: they didn't all share the same cultural beliefs and that's why that's so important you know if it was just the african native kids um you know they might be like well this is the spirit so and so and if it were just the white kids you know the european background they might say well this looks like you know a really cool kind of airplane or something so
2: yeah it's more that they're thinking about well maybe this figure in folklore is really one of these one -hmm. of these creatures that we saw stuff like that. But there there was a a fairly long article that I read about the possibility of mass hysteria and there was one that even listed this incident as like for sure a time where mass hysteria happened. Yeah. Like mass hysteria is this and it's caused by that and it's this phenomena that we're studying and here are some examples of when it's happened and one of them was In 1994, over 60 students reported seeing the same thing, and it was this mass hysteria thing, and we have no idea how it happened. Yeah. And that's just so bizarre to me to try to say that.
1: Yeah, well, because if you can't come up with the answer, then you have to claim that the other people are wrong. And it's total bullshit. Uh, You know, mass hysteria to me is when there's a serial killer loose and everybody buys a gun and everybody gets a rottweiler because it's probably not going to happen to you but they describe anything and i say they the you know powers that be describe anything that they can't scientifically explain as mass hysteria we saw that with the mad gasser it's like another like 40 people saw this dude creeping around and they're like oh no you just heard that one person saw a burglar and so now everybody's seeing the burglar and it's like come on man it, it's it's like to me uh, swamp gas or ball lightning you know that's always what everything is no it wasn't a ufo it was swamp gas well we're in the desert yeah
2: well ball lightning. i think one of the greatest parts of the men in black movies." I don't remember which one it was or where it was, but I remember that there's a scene where they neuralize everybody and they're like, what you saw was swamp gas and blah, blah, blah. And Jay, Will Smith's character, is like, that is some bullshit. (laughs) He's like, that is a terrible cover story. Why are you telling him that? (laughs) Like calling out that these are ridiculous explanations for what could be real, real events. Yeah, it's it's just sad. But
1: let's get into the cultural and societal context after a quick break.
0: The little ones, they were just flowing around in the air. They didn't touch. They didn't touch the ground. And and these made the silver lights. Yeah, yeah. They were making different color lights, like green. Yeah, they'd flash to green, green. then they'd go to blue, Blue, and and then to purple. Yeah, yeah. Purple and um, red. But it was like it was going, like, each one to each one, but quickly. Like, yeah, gonna... <laughs> <laughs> like, they'll, like they'll go there, and then it will vanish, and then it will go there, and vanish, and then will vanish, vanish. Oh, really? They're going quickly. Like as if it was one ship moving. <laughs> yeah. Ship
1: Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. So, the environment in Zimbabwe at the time. In 1994, it was one of both socio-political and cultural transitions, which significantly colored public perceptions and reactions to extraordinary events like the aerial school sighting. Zimbabwe, having gained independence in 1980, was still grappling with its post-colonial identity, balancing traditional beliefs, and a growing exposure to global influences. This period also saw a surge in public interest in astronomical and unexplained aerial phenomena. The re-entry of the Zenit 2 rocket just days before the aerial school incident had caused a fireball in the sky, leading to numerous reports and speculations about UFO sightings across the country. This atmosphere likely heightened sensitivities and awareness about such phenomena, making the population more receptive to discussions about potential extraterrestrial encounters. Additionally, the economic and educational landscape played a role. While the children at aerial school, which was a private institution, might have limited exposure to global UFO narratives, Zimbabwe's gradual integration into the global community meant that such narratives were not entirely alien. No pun intended. Oh. The children's interpretations of their experiences could have been subtly influenced by this broader context of a society transitioning between traditional beliefs and modern global influences. Or it could just be that it was a bunch of kids that don't know much about this, seeing what happened and describing and reporting it accurately. So
2: Right, which is what seems... Yeah, which is what seems more. I didn't even think that that needed to be said. Right. I know. I mean, needed to be put into our notes or anything because I, spoilers for the conclusion. I think this happened. But anyway, let's let's get into uh, folklore and all that. So Zimbabwe's rich tapestry of folklore and traditional beliefs possibly provided a framework within which the aerial school children could interpret their extraordinary experience. Local folklore features a variety of spiritual and mythical beings, such as the Zvikwambo Z- or Tokoloshe. Tokolosh. Tokolosh Or
1: Tokolosh.
2: Yeah. That sounds this, Russian.
1: This was on... Uh, I- I'm familiar with this cryptid, actually. Oh,
2: okay. <clears throat> All right. Such as the Zvikwam... Jesus. Such as the Zvik... <sighs> Such as these Vic Wambo or Tokalosh, which are deeply ingrained in the cultural consciousness. And there is your time where you can tell us how we mispronounced that one for this episode. <laughs> these traditional beliefs often involve entities with supernatural powers and are typically used to explain unexplained phenomena, kind of like uh, Greek gods were used to explain natural phenomena like weather and things like that. So,
1: when we're, but let's talk about these a little bit because if they're blaming this on these beings, I think it's important to talk about it. So the Tokolosh is a mischievous and evil spirit that can become invisible by drinking water or swallowing a stone. They're called upon by malevolent people to cause trouble. So at its least, it's harmful. And a Tokolosh can be used to scare children, but its power extends to causing illness or even death of the victim. The Tokolosh looks like a little cross between a Furby and a vampire bat. Um, So, A
2: Furby and a vampire bat? Yeah. Okay.
1: And then let's see here. the Vic Wombo. So they are spirits of people raised by magic, and they're described kind of as being white, waxy, almost vampire-like beings with pointy ears, but they also have notably round eyes. Their eyes are black circles, not almonds. So mm. that could be important. But, yeah, these, are, these creatures that you just talked about do not look like what these children saw.
2: Well, and I don't know if it's that they're trying to say that they saw something that's traditional folklore it sounds more like they're just including it trying to say that they're more prone to believe in it because they believe in this gotcha or you know they're ready to say that this gardener that they saw and this reflective rock were really something else It none of that makes any sense to me which is why you know I wouldn't want to flesh it f- out too too much okay it's uh but there there's a lot of a lot of this tendency to take a group of people and say you no know, look at their backward traditional beliefs. Yeah. This is why they think the way they do. This is why they yeah. can't recognize that that was just uh a game warden's like <laughs> ultralight or some kind of small helicopter or something that they were using to like survey the grounds and make sure everything was cool yeah and it everything is fine don't worry about it it seems very patronizing to me yeah. that's the way i interpret this kind of thing i mean some of the kids tried to talk to the priest mm-hmm. that was at the school because there is a chapel and everything on the school grounds and say like what what is this you know is mm-hmm. this like we know jesus came from heaven like could jesus have come this way like could he have looked like yeah. that Mm-hmm. They're trying to find any way to interpret it and make it not be a spaceship landed and this thing walked out. I mean, they're trying to use it to rationalize it. <sighs> they're kids that have everybody telling them, you didn't see this. Aliens aren't real. And they're trying to find some other way to rationalize it. They're not using other beliefs or their religions to create the story. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. I feel like we're arguing with ourselves here because it's part of our notes and everything but it's like it's you know there are things that people claim and things that people are trying to use to debunk this stuff so we have to address it at least a little bit
1: well it is sad because you know for years you know we talk about cryptids and you know western people would go to these countries and you know people would say well there's this you know there's uh there's also gorillas that live in the mountains And they're like, okay, your silly uh, superstitions aren't going to affect us. We know that there's no gorillas that live in the mountains. I mean, you know, I understand that you have these silly beliefs from way back. Oh, oh, hold on. Yep. Okay. Somebody found a troop of mountain gorillas. You know what I mean? Like they just totally dismiss it and then they see it for themselves and they're like, oh, yeah okay well that was right but you're still wrong about everything else yeah and it's sad yeah sorry go ahead
2: on the other hand I could go on about that kind of stuff like expeditions to get to the north pole ignoring the advice of Inuits and things like like people who live there people who understand what's going on yeah they're like oh bless your heart patting them on the head Inuits are like no don't wear that wear this don't do this do that and they're like sure whatever All right, on the other hand, (laughs) the influence of global UFO phenomena, especially as portrayed in the media, cannot be discounted. By the 1990s, UFO stories had permeated global culture, popularized through films, books, and television. Although, not to the same extent, probably, in this location, given the time period and their relative isolation. Sure. Although the rural setting of aerial school and the limited media exposure of the children suggest a lesser degree of influence, the global ubiquity of UFO narratives could have had some impact, especially among children who might have heard stories from various sources, including the media and older individuals who had more direct access to such content. So again, this is is essentially just us saying it is possible that they knew of UFO stories and alien stories and comic books and movies and whatever. And they saw something and they applied this to it almost Hmm. like pareidolia, like Hmm. seeing faces and patterns where there aren't any, they saw something, they didn't know what it was. They applied a pattern to it. I don't think that's what this is, but it's something that detractors will say. All right. So I'll just move on to media coverage real quick. The media's role in the aerial School incident was crucial in shaping both the national and international perception of the event. The coverage by major outlets like the BBC lent the incident a degree of credibility and seriousness, catapulting it from a local oddity to a subject of global interest. Funny that in America it was like Maury Povich, Oprah, you know, if Dr. Phil had been around then would have been him talking to these people about it. Yeah. Uh, the media narratives varied. With some reports presenting the incident as a curious, unexplained phenomena, while others approached it with a degree of skepticism, highlighting the possibilities of mass delusion or misinterpretation. And a lot of the ones here in the U.S. really hyping it up uh, in a way that we would identify today as clickbait. Yes, But it's, you know, we have uh, we have all these kids who say that aliens landed at their school, and we have a Harvard doctor who says this, and an investigator that says that and they're just trying to say like so you're you're a real smart guy from Harvard you think there are aliens out there and he's like i didn't say that yeah he's like i told and i've seen i watched a bunch of these clips of these interviews of them where he's like i mean the only way it could be more plain is if he just said bro i did not say that I personally believe in aliens or saw aliens, I'm telling you that these kids are relaying a genuine experience. Correct. Anyway, you can tell that I get a little bit upset about that. Public reaction in Zimbabwe and globally was diverse in Zimbabwe, the incident ignited a mix of intrigue and skepticism. I think we said said ex- almost exactly that same thing before. Some people viewed the incident through the lens of traditional beliefs and folklore, considering it as a possible manifestation of spiritual or supernatural phenomena. Others, influenced by the growing global discourse around UFOs, saw it as a potential extraterrestrial encounter. However, there was also a significant portion of the population, including educators and psychologists, who remained skeptical, attributing the incident to the overactive imagination of children or mass hysteria. And the thing with imagination, I'm sure you played some kind of imaginary games as kids, like you and your friends had some game that you would play. You can't just telepathically pick up on that. You don't telepathically experience exactly the same thing. If you're playing some make-believe game or part of it requires imagination, you have to explain what you're doing. And even then, not everybody's going to be experiencing the same thing. Even if they start to believe it, like, oh, maybe this is really real. Their imagination is based off of an interpretation of what you told them. So they're not all going to match up. And these don't all match up some of them have hair some of the aliens have hair but that's about the extent of the variation if you were
1: to construct this as a prank and this is not including what they saw not if you just if none of that ever happened and you were constructing this as a prank that was going to last you know 30 some odd years with people still coming on giving interviews crying about it and stuff like that It's, I mean, the amount of planning. I mean, there would have to be a paper trail. There would have to be, you know, papers handed out. This is what you saw. Memorize this. This is when it happened. This is where they were at. This is what they did. This is what they looked like. And that undertaking for a group of children seems really unlikely and especially you know you talk about the telephone game you might be able to get three or four of your buddies to go along with you but are you going to get you know people that excuse me are you going to get people that hate your guts to be like yeah i want to be part of your prank and Mm. people that don't care about you one way or the other be like yeah and i'm also going to carry this prank on for 35 years because i am It, it just it doesn't add up
2: right right you would have some of them coming forward with some kind of book Mm -hmm. to make money off it by saying here's why i perpetuated this story (sighs) internationally the incident caught the attention of ufo enthusiasts and researchers who saw it as one of the most compelling cases of a ufo sighting given the number and age of the witnesses and the consistency of their accounts Skeptics outside Zimbabwe, however, tended to view it through a more critical lens, often questioning the methodologies used in the investigations and the influence of cultural and environmental factors on the children's testimonies. So they just
1: come up with whatever. You know, it's it's not, hey, we're going to go into this and see what happened. It's, we're going to go into this and prove why this couldn't have happened. And that's not science.
2: Yeah, you come in with... Your own conclusion that you've drawn, and you want to find a way to support it. Yeah. It doesn't. Not how science is supposed to work.
1: This is where things will probably get a little bit more interesting because we've kind of described this in a mellow tone of voice and, you know, a relaxed conversation. But in reality, if this was happening, you know, you'd be like, oh my God. Holy shit! Did you see what just happened over there? You know what I mean. Like it. This is yeah. a a major deal. It's it's not just us telling a little bedtime story. It's some uh, crazy stuff, and now we're going to talk about some of the theories. So proponents of the extraterrestrial interpretation of the aerial school incident point to several compelling factors. The number and age of the witnesses, coupled with the consistency in their accounts, are often cited as strong evidence. If you had sixty-two people say that they saw someone murder someone, they would be in the electric chair. So let's just not forget that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Texas, isn't it like if you have ten people, ten eyewitnesses, like oh, I don't know. It- there i think there's some i think ron white had a joke about it back in the day the texas had some law where over a certain number of eyewitnesses it like changes something about the procedure in court hmm. but yeah i mean once you have so many people telling the same story it's got to be true right
1: it, it to their well, at least to adds the best a of lot their of
2: knowledge yeah
1: The children's description of the UFO and beings, along with the reported telepathic communication, suggest an encounter with a sophisticated intelligence beyond human technology or understanding. Advocates argue that the rural setting and the children's limited exposure to global media make it unlikely that their accounts were influenced by pre-existing UFO narratives. This view is supported by the emotional impact and the enduring nature of the children's testimonies, which, according to believers, indicate a genuine and profound experience. What's next?
2: Oh, skepticism, really. Skeptics of the extraterrestrial interpretation offer several alternative explanations. The most common is mass hysteria, which is bullshit. Where a group of individuals, often in a close-knit setting, experience a collective delusion or psychological contagion. Now, we talked about mass hysteria with the Salem witch trials. Right. But we talked about it in the context of there being something environmental that affected them that caused, that caused uh, what was supposed to be a physical ailment or affliction mm-hmm. that was part of this witchcraft thing. That This is not that.
1: Well, yeah, it'd be different if they said, well, all the kids got magic mushrooms
2: for lunch that day. Oh. Uh, <laughs> you know, but. And then they had like a, then they had a shaman who guided them on their experience and they're like, okay, you're seeing this and you're seeing that. Mm-hmm. And then they had similar experiences, but this is, this ain't that. Right. Anyway. uh <laughs> This theory suggests that one or a few children's imaginative accounts could have influenced others, leading to a shared but false belief in the sighting. Another explanation is a prank or a misinterpretation of a natural or man-made object, such as a conventional aircraft or the effects of the rocket re-entry seen days earlier. Skeptics also point to the possibility of cultural and environmental influences, including the impact of local folklore and global UFO phenomena. On the children's perceptions.
1: Well, yeah, we can say that when it's three or four, you know, maybe they're out in the forest collecting fruit, or they're on a hike somewhere, or somehow kept away from from other people, where it's only three or four or seven or nine or twelve, but sixty two. Come mm-hmm.
2: on, man. Yeah, that's a little much, and they were interviewed in small groups by hind and individually by mac
3: Mm -hmm. and they
2: still said the same thing they were not i think it would have taken a lot of coordination and work to still keep and maintain the same stories the same accounts the same descriptions throughout all that think about what this does
1: to these children you're wrong yeah you're stupid you don't know what you're talking about
2: Right, and we are going to get into that a little bit later, but... Okay. it Yeah, it's definitely a... I mean, I think all of us have had something that happened where people don't believe us. Mm-hmm. And it's extremely frustrating. Yeah. One of the girls um, who talked about being kind of frozen by the gaze of this being... Mm-hmm. ...talks about how hard it was... All of them talk about how hard it was to have people not believe them. And the one little girl talked about just being terrified. And you can see it. Like, you can really see it in the mm-hmm. footage of her as a little kid. And you can see it at, in footage of her at age 37 or whatever she is. That she still doesn't know what it is, doesn't know if this thing's going to come back, doesn't know if it's going to do something to her. And nobody believes her. Yep. And the one girl, going back to the one who was frozen, you know, felt like she was kind of trapped, she never told her husband about it until the documentary happened and she had to explain what happened and she was like oh my god am i gonna go through this again and at first he did not believe her she was like no this can't be happening i can't have another important person in my life who's gonna think that i'm making this up or whatever and they all talked about how important it was to them that dr mac did not judge them he just accepted whatever they said he's like okay so they Okay, you saw the craft. What did it describe this? Describe that. Okay, cool. Got it. You know, describe their physical attributes. Did they have any hair? What did their eyes look like? And they are like, it was so, such a relief to have somebody important, believe. Mm-hmm. And they're talking to one of the, uh, like, Zimbabwe native kids who kind of got spiritual afterward. You know, kind of got in touch with both the Christian side and the, nat- like, the traditional side.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And he was talking about, like, how good it was to have... He's like, I remember this guy come in, like, this important guy from America. He was very tall. He was very, like, clear and deliberate in the way he talked to us. And he believed us. And he listened to us. And it's like... It's a huge deal. It is. And that's what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Anyway, so... uh, I guess tell us about the interview techniques.
1: I will after a quick break. <laughs> my
0: mom didn't believe me your everything. mom didn't believe you? She
2: my mom, my mom, mom, my my mom, mom so she didn't
0: believe you. Is that hard? It's because if you see something and nobody believes you, yeah. what happens? Yeah, you start to think as if it wasn't true. Yeah, and people. People say to you, "No, it wasn't true." So you th- you think it wasn't true? As then well. you think that you're mad. Yeah, and everyone starts teasing. And my friends over the road, when I go there and I tell them about it, they just say, "Oh, he believes in aliens. Oh, he's stupid."
1: Welcome back, crypt Keepers. Well, the methodologies employed in interviewing the children have been a point of debate. Critics of John E. Mack's approach argue that his belief in the possibility of extraterrestrial encounters may have biased his interviews, potentially leading the children to articulate their experiences in a way that aligns with Mack's expectations. Conversely, supporters of Mack's methodology argue that his background in psychiatry and his open-minded approach allowed the children to express their experiences without fear of disbelief or ridicule. The credibility of the witnesses is also debated. While some see the children's accounts as untainted by adult biases, others question the reliability of childhood memories and perceptions, especially in the context of a highly unusual an emotionally charged event. So, you know, I see it in court cases all the time. A lawyer will say, well, you simply must believe this eyewitness testimony and you simply must disregard this other eyewitness testimony. And it's like, listen, either we're taking eyewitness testimony or we're not. You, you can't have it both ways. And I know that's a lawyer's job, but you can have it both ways either they're trustworthy or they're not but not in some cases and not in others and it just seems like there's they're using this as evidence that this was fake and when you take 62 people's eyewitness accounts and you say well uh, it reminds me of uh your boy from the Vertical Plane episode. Well, this simply must cannot be, so it must not be. I don't care if there's right. no other logical explanation. It cannot be. So these children must all be lying. And, well, if we have to blame it on John Mack, that's fine. If we have to blame it on Cynthia Hind, that's fine. It just cannot be. And that's bullshit, man. Yep. shit! All right, you want to... Tell us about long-term impact and legacy.
2: In the years following the incident, many of the aerial school witnesses, now adults, have consistently recounted their experiences, often with striking detail and emotion. Their accounts as adults provide a fascinating insight into how deeply the event impacted their lives. Interviews conducted years later reveal that for many of these witnesses, the experience was transformative, shaping their perspectives on environmental issues and the existence of extraterrestrial life. Some have participated in documentaries and public discussions, reiterating their encounters and the profound effect it had on them. This enduring conviction among the witnesses challenges the notion of the incident being a fleeting childhood delusion. Because most kids playing an imaginary game don't, Don't keep recounting it 20 and 30 years later. And think about this. You know,
1: we're talking about the, I guess, the likelihood that something like this is even possible. If you don't believe that it's possible, then you're going to look for any excuse you can find to disprove it. But what if your kid uh, went out to get an ice cream cone from the ice cream man and said he tried to pull her in the van? Are you going to be like, well, you got your ice cream and it just doesn't seem like, you know, if if he wanted to pull you into the van, he probably could have. So, you know, you're probably not being. No, you're going to fucking run out there with a baseball bat and start smashing this guy's car up and <sighs> drag him out. And
2: Yep. Yeah. No, I mean, if it was anything other than something that seems so far fetched, we would take it a lot more seriously. Well, you and I take it seriously, and probably the folks listening to this take it seriously. But for some reason, and John Mack took it seriously.
1: You know, yeah, you know, it would have been for him. It would have been kind of a triumph to go in and say, you know, no, we disproved it. You know, then that kind of adds to his credibility too. If he's, you know, nationally or internationally speaking in the scientific community it wasn't what was best for him to you know say that he believes all this stuff what would have been best for his career would be yeah you know i i proved that they were wrong
3: yeah
2: and that same woman even talked about it in that documentary when they were talking about him that like he that was this was not the easy thing for him to do yeah he did not walk away from this unscathed and but said. yeah So we want to talk about its influence on pop culture? Yeah. And
1: sort of our field? (laughs) Sure. The aerial school sighting has left an indelible mark on UFO research, and it's often cited in academic and research circles for its unique characteristics, such as the number of child witnesses... the consistency of their stories. The incident has influenced the methodologies used in studying UFO sightings, particularly in assessing the credibility of witnesses and understanding the psychological impact of such encounters. In pop culture, the incident has been featured in documentaries and referenced in discussions about UFOs, contributing to the global interest in unexplained aerial phenomena and the possibility of extraterrestrial Encounters.
2: Yeah, so moving on, decades later, the aerial school UFO incident continues to spark debate and speculation, as you can see. (laughs) There remain questions about the nature of the event and the credibility of the child witnesses. Some researchers continue to explore alternative explanations, while others view the incident as one of the most compelling cases of potential extraterrestrial contact. The event remains a subject of intrigue and discussion embodying the complexities and mysteries inherent in the study of UFO phenomena. So to recap and wrap things up, the aerial school UFO incident of 1994 in Rua, Zimbabwe stands out in ufology due to the number of child witnesses and the consistency of their accounts, as we've stated over and over, because it's really important. Right. They described seeing a UFO and beings, with details that were remarkably similar across the group. Investigations by Cynthia Hind and John Mack added credibility and depth to the incident, despite somewhat differing methodologies. The event's significance is further underscored by its cultural context, media coverage, and the ongoing debates it has started in the field of UFO research. From a personal perspective, the aerial School incident is a fascinating confluence of eyewitness testimony, childhood perception, and the enduring human fascination with the unknown. The incident raises important questions about the nature of reality and the potential for extraordinary experiences beyond our current understanding. It challenges us to consider the possibilities of extraterrestrial life and the impact such encounters can have on individuals and communities.
1: The aerial school UFO sighting leaves several open questions and areas for further research, and I would love for some of these, um, you know, child witnesses today to go under hypnosis and try and recall, you know, what they what they had seen, even though they seem to have a perfectly reasonable conscious you know, grip on on what happened. Uh, I don't know that they even yeah. really need to be put under hypnosis, but I think that people believe that when you're under hypnosis, you're a lot less likely to lie. So I would love to see that. Yeah. But these include the psychological impact of such encounters on children, the role of cultural and environmental factors in shaping witness accounts, and the potential for new methodologies in investigating similar incidents. Further research could also explore the long-term effects of such experiences on witnesses and the broader implications for our understanding of unexplained phenomena. Final thoughts after a quick break.
0: Was well, so there nobody in your neighborhood who believed you?
3: No. No. Yeah, my mom, mom and dad believed me. <laughs> my granny
0: and my granddad believed me, but my uncle didn't. Where the spaceship had landed, all the the insects and ants and stuff like that were all dead and there was a huge black mark there. And uh, my mum said might have just been a it might have just been a fire there, but I don't think there was. I think it was the alien ship. Yeah.
1: Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. All right, final thoughts. What do you think?
2: I think it's real. I think it happened. And I think that this is another instance where, you know, established media or paradigms are refusing to accept something that kind of shifts our understanding into an uncomfortable position. Mm-hmm. And there was one thing in the encounters episode that I. Did not see mentioned anywhere else in any of the other articles that I read or videos that I watched. Mm -hmm. And that is the current headmistress of the school, who was there at the time in a different capacity. She lives at the school. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's common for all the staff, but she said that she lives there. Sure. And she said that sometime after this happened, she had her own experience. Ooh. She said that she woke up to find something with her and then Mm -hmm. kind of instantly was on board their craft. Mm -hmm. And they were wheeling her around. And it's kind of funny. She said that they were... She found herself on this very narrow bed being you know experimented on. And she said that she found it funny. She says, because I'm quite fat. And I thought I was (laughs) going to fall off of it because it was very narrow. But she said that they were... You know pulling around and they were you know same same thing people describe that they're being moved around and the aliens are kind of talking to them, kind of not and they're telling her don't look up and she just does it anyway looks up at them and she said that she saw a syringe or some kind of needle come down basically into her belly button and then Mm -hmm. the next thing she knew she woke up and she was home and that was another point where kim was like pause it pause it Mm -hmm. and she goes eggs Yeah. She said they're collecting eggs for a hybrid program. She goes, that's 100% why they would be doing that. Yep. Wow. But, yeah, it's a a pretty important thing that apparently she hasn't talked about. Because, like I said, I've read a bunch of other articles. I even, after a while, I started creating lists because I didn't want to just have, like, 30 Chrome tabs open. Yeah. So I just created lists of the articles that I was reading, and I didn't see it anywhere else. Well, it's interesting when they leave stuff out, huh? (laughs) <laughs> it's interesting, yeah, when you can add a lot more uh credibility to it by telling the truth after 30 years. What about you? What do you think? Well, I have a question for you first. How would this be different if it
1: happened in the same place, and I don't mean the exact same place, but, you know, a rural African community in 2023? How would it be different today? You think they'd get more
2: uh Believers? I really don't know. I really don't know. I feel like I feel like traditional media would say, well, there were white kids involved in this, and that's why it got coverage.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And there were wealthy people involved in this because it's a private school. Mm-hmm. But I really think that the things that made it interesting were the fact that it was so isolated and so peaceful and idyllic. Yeah. And the difference now would probably be there'd be more pressure to produce some kind of evidence. Well, it's 2023. Mm -hmm. You may not have the newest iPhone or an S23 Ultra or whatever, but you can afford a $200 smartphone that has a camera that can record something. You should have security cameras on your school or... Whatever, you're probably not in a game preserve, so there could be some kind of light pollution. I think there's going to be a lot more alternative explanations hmm. and a lot more pressure on people to produce evidence. Uh, I think the skepticism would be pretty much the same, maybe even more so, unless yeah. they were able to produce some kind of supporting evidence. Yeah.
1: Well, I didn't take into account the fact that everybody has cameras now, but if, if this happened, you know, maybe it was, Hey, everybody's got to put their phone in the basket at the start of the day and you'll get it back at the end of the school day. Um, yeah. I think people would be more likely to believe nowadays than, than they would have back then just simply because of, you know, governments coming out and being like, yeah, well, we don't really know what this was. Uh, yeah. our jet couldn't, our, you know, our F 22 Raptor, You know, couldn't even come close to keeping up with it.
2: I think one of the reasons why maybe people have fewer experiences now and I don't know if it's true that they do or not but I feel like they're taken less seriously and explored less often today. Hmm. But I really think that a lot of it could have to do with modern tech basically just being distracted all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm one of the few people I know who at my age, mid 30s, will leave my phone in my pocket i'm sort of on the the edge (laughs) right before that generation where they're on their phone all the time yeah you know what i mean i didn't grow up with it Mm -hmm. we didn't smartphones didn't exist when i was in high school or anything like that yeah i didn't even start to see smartphones until i think i was into grad school or something like that it's so i'll leave my phone in my pocket And I know, like, I used to get home from closing down the bar. And I would be using my technology, but I'm not scrolling through Twitter or Instagram or anything. I might open the door, call the dogs to come out and go to the bathroom because it's like midnight or one in the morning. And I'll Hmm. put my AirPods in and I'll tell Siri to play some music or a, a Sirius XM station or something. But then I'm just kind of walking around outside and I'm looking up at the sky. I mean, that's why I saw that constellation satellite grouping
3: Mm -hmm.
2: because I walk around and I just kind of look around at stuff and I feel like maybe people don't as much anymore. Yeah. There was some storm or some blackout in New York a couple years ago, like maybe eight years ago. Okay. I don't remember what happened, but I remember watching this show where they were talking about it. And this one guy who's a journalist who like primarily covers (laughs) tech was saying that all the cell towers were out. Hmm. And he said it was really strange because all of a sudden, like you're kind of walking around the streets trying to figure out what's going on. Like some places have power because they have backup generators and things like that. Mm-hmm. He said, but it was really weird to notice that everybody's looking up. Everybody's looking yeah. at you. They're not weird. reading the news, they're not checking emails, they're not texting. They're all like looking around and interacting with each other. And he's like, it's weird because you didn't notice that you weren't seeing it before yeah i can see that i don't know i i feel like i'm i'm prone to go on like technology bad rants but
1: everything's got good and bad and everything needs balance yeah. so
2: yeah i mean i just think it's one of those things where some of the tech that would help us i guess this is my point some of the tech that would help us capture these events also would distract us from seeing that they're happening in the first place. Yeah, It's like when when I was studying in grad school market research and they talked about the first guy to really do what we would consider market research today was a grocery store owner. Mm -hmm. And he would sit in the rafters. There was like a catwalk in the rafters at the, like, high up in the store. Mm -hmm. Because if you look up in a lot of grocery stores, you can see sort of the structure of the building.
3: Yeah,
2: And he wrote in his book that the only people who noticed him up there were kids.
3: Hmm.
2: He said, adults don't look up. Adults just look at what they're doing, get done and go. But the kids are like looking around and notice stuff and they'll look up and notice him sitting up there watching everybody and they'll wave and he'll wave back. And it was just like a weird observation that he threw in there. Yeah. So don't put your advertising on the ceiling. Well, it's just people (laughs) people aren't looking around for things that they don't expect to see. Yeah. And if we were more often, maybe we would have more evidence of this stuff and it wouldn't be a strange. And then we wouldn't be denying it. Yeah. I mean, I wonder how many of those kids are like, did you see the man in the ceiling? And the parents were like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about.
1: Yeah. Let's go get some free loops
2: and get out of here.
1: Yeah. Well, as far as my final thoughts, I believe these kids and I believe these adults and Maybe it was not a spaceship from a different planet. It could have been an ultra terrestrial. It could have been something from another dimension. It could have been something from Middle Earth. Hell, I don't know. But I don't (laughs) think that 62 children made up a story and stuck to it as well as they did and are still sticking with it today, despite the pain that it causes them and the, you know, the the mental anguish of not being believed for 30 some odd years.
2: That is very well said. All right. It's Dr. Mack even said in one of the interviews on some talk show that I saw where uh, th- the line was something like, why is it harder to believe that these kids saw something intelligent than it is to believe that 60-something children all hallucinated the exact same thing at the exact same time and continue to retell very, very similar and consistent stories.
1: Well, I tell you what I would have done if I was John Mack, and I, I don't know if he if this would fall into his realm of responsibility or not, but maybe a good experiment would to be uh, to go to a similar type school and give 62 kids you know a a page long uh you know description of an event similar to this and be like all right here you go read this there's a drawing you get two minutes and then we're going to interview everybody and see what you remember because if they could you know if they couldn't remember most of the stuff that would on that was on the sheet that would go a long way to proving that the kids are telling the truth. I think. Yeah.
2: And you can form, I should have mentioned this earlier. I know you and I have talked about this before, just in talking about stories of UFO encounters and ghost stories and things that Mm -hmm. you can form false memories through suggestion. Sure. But 60 children are not going to form exactly the same false memory. Mm hmm. I mean, I've been asked, Are you sure you didn't do this before you did that Are you sure you didn't set your keys down there? and you start to realize like I'm gonna make up false memories if I keep entertaining these possibilities you know <laughs> eventually, I will remember having set my keys down here and they're still not there, and it's not helpful right oh sure, but it's like you're not gonna you're not gonna make sixty kids think the same thing.
1: yep, I agree a hundred percent aerial children.
2: We believe you, mm-hmm, so for sure, and if you want to come on the show, oh, we would and love talk to, to our you. wonderful audience, who will probably also believe you, <laughs> then you can get in touch with us at our email.
1: Yeah, so I just wanted to let the listeners know, I'm not sure exactly when this episode's coming out, but we have shows coming up on Atlantis. We have shows coming up on Giants with L.A. Marzuli. We have a show coming up on Spontaneous Human Combustion. And these are all deep dives with guests that will be coming out here in the not-too-distant future. So hopefully that's something that uh, you guys can find interest in. Do you want to tell them what they need to know?
2: Yeah, just a quick recap of what we said at the beginning. If you want to support us, spread the show to somebody you think will like it. If you want to get in contact with us and suggest something else, or if you've had a UFO sighting and nobody believes you, reach out. Maybe it's something we would be able to talk to you about and give you, you know, some exposure for. Maybe we know something that can help. I don't know. We read about this stuff all the time. <laughs> It seems probably likely that we have a greater depth of knowledge than the average person who would refuse to believe you, right? Right. But you can email us at Cryptique Podcast at gmail.com. You can find out what we're selling over at Cryptique Podcast Store.com. And you can find all of our socials, our YouTube, our X, our whatever else mm-hmm. at the show notes. And buy us a coffee. And yeah, you can donate something through, through Buy Me a Coffee and. And we'll love you forever. It'll help us keep the servers on and the hosting going. And I mean, we're, we're probably going to keep doing this anyway. I enjoy it.
1: All right. Well, this is Jay for Ryan reminding you UFOs are the cosmic question marks, sparking our imagination and challenging us to look to the stars with wonder rather than fear.
0: Good evening, trip Keepers. The, have You have gone to the place, of course, and have you seen anything? No, we, we weren't allowed the evidence, there. I mean, that it was there? Um, some <laughs> other people came to the school and they went out the boundary of the playground and they went to go and see what had happened there and they saw that the grass was burnt and all the living things had died there in that area. His, Him and his parents and his brother and sister all believed me. And my mother just believed me, but my dad didn't believe anything I said, anything. And did you describe it uh, describe it to them, exactly what happens? Yeah, and I drew it on a paper and I said, Daddy, this is what it looked like. And then he saw it well and he said, uh, Michael, I think you're telling the truth now. And then that's all he said of it, and that's all.